0: So we're preaching on um, Matthew, Matthew 27, Jesus before Pilate. And this is a um, a passage, uh, an event that's mentioned in all four Gospels, all four of the Gospels talk about Jesus standing before Pilate. So um, I'm going to use the passage from Matthew and the passage from John, John 18, Matthew 27. Um, I could probably do with another... Another thing. No. I'll use this for now. It's fine. So, I'll just read the passage. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Thanks, Dan. Mm-hmm. Looks like Megadesk. It's fantastic. <laughs> when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting at the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they said. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged. And handed him over to be crucified. So, lots going on here. The passage is essentially about truth versus power. This is about truth versus power. Truth and power are opposites. Power is self seeking. And a lot of us wouldn't talk about wanting power, but we do like control. We like to have control. Well, control. It's just a tributary of power. So power is self-seeking. Truth is the opposite. Truth, truth seeks something outside of itself. So this is about truth versus power. So who was Pilate? I mean, Pilate's one of the even school kids. Even this guy we spoke to in Bedford probably had heard the name Pontius Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor in Judea, which is quite a good, quite a good job to have. And um, the, the Jewish council didn't like him because he'd, um, he'd ransacked some of their treasuries. Um, so he knew the Sanhedrin didn't like him. He also knew that the people loved Jesus, but that the Jewish Sanhedrin hated Jesus and wanted him killed. Now, in all four Gospels, in all four of these Gospels, it's very clear that Pilate sees nothing wrong with Jesus. On all four Gospels, Pilate finds no wrong in Jesus. He can find no crime. Because you see, the Jewish, the Jewish council um, couldn't have someone executed. They accused him of blasphemy, but in Roman terms, that, that, wasn't, a, that wasn't a crime worthy of death. So they come, they come to Pilate and say, well, no, he's, he's creating insurrection as well. He's, create, he's stopping people from paying taxes, um, which wasn't true but they wanted him dead, so they were prepared to say anything. In all four Gospels, Pilate sees nothing wrong with what Jesus did. He can see him, and he can see that he's innocent. And in fairness, in fairness to Pilate, he tries several times to avert what's trying to happen. So, first of all, he says, you go and judge him by your own laws. That's the first thing he says. Then he says, well, look... It's custom on this day for me to release a prisoner. Shall I release this guy? I'll release this king of the Jews. They weren't happy with that. And then finally, he says, well, look, we'll flog him. We'll put a crown of thorns on his head. We'll mock him. We'll put this scarlet robe on him and we'll flog him. That will be the punishment. Is that enough? But the crowd were adamant. No, crucify him. So in the end, mob rule won out. The crowd clamored so high and so loud that in the end, Pilate... Let them crucify him. And now what's really weird is that Pilate says, he washes his hands and says, I am innocent of this man's blood. But he wasn't innocent at all because he was the one with the permission to have him crucified. Pilate was not innocent. He was the most guilty because he was the one who could have stopped it and he didn't. And he washed his hands, which gave him a false sense of peace as he handed over the Prince of Peace to be murdered. So he washed his hands, he gave himself a false sense of peace as he handed over the Prince of Peace to be murdered. And we see that, don't we? We often say, I'm, not, I'm leaving them to it, I'm not getting involved. This is nothing to do with me. And that might be the case. But we do have responsibilities in life and claiming that we're innocent doesn't necessarily mean that it is the case. So he gets himself a false sense of truth. And it's really interesting, because in John 18, um, Pilate says, Are you a king? And Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. You see, one of the interesting things is that Jesus says nothing throughout this. He's being lied about. He's being slandered. He's having false charges brought against him. And he says... Nothing. The most he ever says is, it is as you say. That's all he ever says. He knows what's going to happen to him, but he remains silent. You see, the thing is that Pilate thinks that Jesus is standing before him, but actually Pilate's standing before Jesus. It's actually Pilate that is on on trial, as as all of us are, as all of us will be. Jesus is there, and he doesn't have to say anything, because Pilate is playing out his own... His own narrative of destruction. Jesus says, because he says in Matthew 26 earlier, he says, don't you realise that my Father in heaven, if I asked, could send me thousands of angels. I could ask for thousands of angels and he'd, he'd do it instantly. So Jesus is not without the ability to use power here. But Jesus says that there's a higher thing going on. That there's a truth involved here that requires him to defer power. And the reason Pilate hands Jesus over eventually is because he's interested in his own power. He likes the job he's got. He's the, he's the governor of Judea. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty good job. And really he just wants a, a quiet life. He, he knows that Jesus is innocent, but he wants to keep his job and so he allows an innocent man to be killed. Because ultimately he's not interested in the truth He claims to be for a while. He doesn't want wrong to happen. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, when it's a choice between truth and power, he goes for power. When it becomes a choice between somebody else and him, he saves himself for a bit. It doesn't end well for Pilate, as we'll tell you later. So Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. This is a problem for Pilate. This is, this is the real killer for Pilate. Because Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. If you're interested in truth, Pilate, as you've been claiming to be, one, you've got to make a call. Call it, Jesus says essentially. Call it. What are you going to do? Are you on the side of truth? Or are you on the side of power? Are you interested in what's right or just what's convenient? And Pilate tries to fudge the issue. He says, "Well, what is truth? What is truth?" And he, is he such a. This happen, This has happened throughout time, but it happens a lot in our society because Pilate is terrified that there is something objective facing him. There is an objective truth that he's faced with. And he doesn't want to face the consequences that Jesus might be telling the truth. So he simply says, well, what is truth? He makes it relative. Because if Pilate can convince himself that there isn't an objective right and wrong, there isn't an objective truth to be followed here, then actually he lets himself off, doesn't he? He gives himself the permission to wash his own hands and to claim that he's, he's innocent when actually he's really guilty. And we see this, we see this played out in our society. People say, it's, so, it's such a modern concept, what is truth? People don't like the idea of truth because, and none of us do really, because we don't like absolute, we don't like objective absolutes, because we don't like to feel controlled. None of us like to feel controlled. None of us like to feel like we're we're powerless. And so you'll hear people say things like, There's no such thing as truth. You hear that a lot. There's no such thing as absolute truth. To which you can say, okay, so is that statement absolutely true? You're saying there's no such thing as truth. Is that true? If it's true that there's no such thing as truth, then it's not true, is it? These statements that sound great and actually aren't. People want to say to you, Essentially, what I'm saying is, when someone tells you there's no such thing as truth, they're asking you not to believe them, so don't. When someone tells you there's no such thing as truth, they're asking you not to believe them. Because they want you to believe that what they've said is true. It can't be true that there's no such thing as truth. (laughs) No, it's all right. It's good. I'm, I'm glad that you did it. So people say there's no such thing as truth. That's a statement. There's no such thing as truth. But if it's true that there's no such thing as truth, well, there is such a thing as truth. How do you know? <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about this at the end. But truth either is or isn't. We all want to, we all want to skate around the issue of, of truth, but we all know... Okay, so some people will say, I've got my lifestyle. This is my truth. This is my truth. What's yours? Well, what if my truth is that your truth can't possibly be true? What if that's my truth? We're not both telling the truth. (laughs) Don't worry if you don't follow it all. It's absolutely fine. (laughs) What I'm saying is that we can't escape the reality that some things are true. You see, We're obsessed with truth. Whatever we claim to believe about truth, we're obsessed with it. And if atheism is true, if there is no God, then it's weird that we have this obsession with truth because if atheism is true, we are not wired for truth. We're just wired for survival. We're not wired for purpose. Our purpose is just to pass on our genes to the next generation. And yet we we feel a sense of purpose, a desire for purpose. We're not wired for truth if atheism is true. We're just wired for survival. So so the fact that we're obsessed with truth and we want to know what is true and we debate what is true is a signpost, one of many signposts, that points to God. Because people want to say there's no such thing as truth. Because if there's no such thing as truth, then you get to define your own meaning. You get to make your own truth. This is the point I'm making. If there is no such thing as truth, if nothing is set then you make your own meaning. But nobody lives as though truth is that easy to manipulate. None of, us, none of us live as though truth is that easy to manipulate. We all know that certain things are true. It is true that there are no square circles. There are no square circles, that's true. There are no married bachelors. A giraffe has never played premiership football. <laughs> Mansfield is a terrible place. Oh, not you again. (laughs) Nobody likes soup. These are just truths. No one likes soup. Put your hands up if you like soup. Precisely, no one. (laughs) Fact, hashtag truth, truth bombs. There are certain things that we know are true. Certain things are just set. And we might disagree on some of the things that are true and are not. But none of us live, none of us disbelieve in truth when we're looking at the warning sign on a bottle of poison. No one thinks, sees, if you drink this you will die, and thinks, well, I'll make up my own mind about that. No, I don't want to. I want to carry on with my talk. This was not an interview when I rehearsed. Thank you. It's all right. I'm looking for my place. So I was, when I was in Edinburgh, I was at the Edinburgh Festival a few years ago, doing my show. Very good show. And uh, very good show. Great reviews. Great reviews. Don't check online. Just trust me. Great reviews. Uh, And I was doing some flyering on the Royal Mile, doing some flyering. And this guy... um, This guy came up to me, and everyone's on the Royal Mile, that's where everyone flies. And I handed him his flyer, I said, "Um, Mate, do you want to come to a a clean comedy show? And he looked at me, he said, "Um, I'm sorry, I only speak Russian and Turkish. I said, You're you're speaking English now, aren't you? And he just said, I'm sorry, I have no idea what you're talking about, and just walked on. (laughs) Which was amazing. I mean, I didn't know, it was a total zinger, I had no idea what was going on. But the point is, the moment he told me in English that he only speak Russian and Turkish, that's false. That's instantly false. I've taken half an hour longer than I wanted to make the point. But the point is, we all know, we live as though some things are true. We live as though truth is important. We don't think that truth is just relative. We don't really believe deep down what Pilate says. What is truth? Because at some point, you will come face to face with the truth. And like the tragedy of this is that Pilate said, what is truth? And the way the truth and the life was standing right before him. The way the truth and life was standing right before him. And he had every chance. His wife had had a prophetic dream warning him to get out of there. But he had every chance to accept Jesus and he rejected him and he sent him, off, sent him off to be killed. And it's the same with religions, you see. People will say and if Rebecca Hancock was here, she'd Roll her eyes now, because she says I always talk about other religions. And I do, because it's important, because I think we need to understand what the good news is good news in comparison to. People say, oh, there's loads of religions out there, we can't know which one is true. There's loads of religions, we can't know which one is true. And I understand that, but it's also not how things work. At the gathering, there were two two and a half thousand blokes there. If a visitor came onto the site and said, well, there's two and a half thousand blokes here, there's no way we can know who Carl Beach is. They're all basically the same, loads of hunky men. We can't know who's who. We can't know who Carl Beach is. And that's not true. There's several things you could do. You could ask someone, say, excuse me, do you know Carl Beach? And they could take you to. You could look in the program. You could find the name Carl Beach and look at the photo next to him and go and find that person. You could shout, Carl Beach, and just see who turns around. You could just check out the person who gives himself all the best speaking opportunities. I mean, that... and and relegates other speakers, very fine speakers in their own right, to the afternoon graveyard shift, (laughs) during which uh, an RAF flyover of Second World War planes happens, causing half the people who are in the tent to leave the tent and never come back. (laughs) During, during my, I mean, his well-prepared talk. (laughs) I am not bitter. But it's, it's, it's about evidence. It's about evidence. There is there are stuff, there's stuff you can do to work out what is true. At the gallery, you can do stuff to work out who Carl Beach is. We don't have to throw up our hands in despair and say, oh, there's no way we can know. You see, science, the scientific method, is all about looking at the data that's there and creating a model that best fits the data. And it's the same, it is actually the same with the truth about the universe. You have to look at all. You have to do is look at the data of your own life. Look at the data that surrounds you, and find a model that best fits that. So again, with religions, um, if you were a policeman, if, so James is a policeman. If James turned up at the scene of a, like a slaughtered dog, and there were five, no dogs were actually harmed in the making of this analogy, <laughs> and there were fi- there were five people there. There was. Um, an old lady in a wheelchair, there was a a crying mother with a a baby, there was a a member of the RSPCA vomiting, and then there was a man covered in dog's blood, wielding a hatchet and screaming maniacally, I'm just more of a cat person, I'm just more of a cat person. You wouldn't think you had a one in five chance of guessing who the murderer was, would you? Because that's not how people solve crimes. With everything in life, we look at the evidence and we find out where that points. We find out what is the best explanation for the evidence that we have. And so when people say, oh, we can't know which religion is true, because Immanuel Kant, who was a philosopher, said, we cannot reach outside of our experience and grab ultimate reality. We are, Because we're human, we can't reach outside our experience and grab ultimate reality. And as Christians, we agree with that. But what we would say is, hey, Immanuel, what if ultimate reality came down and grabbed us? What would that be like? Other philosophers will say, we can't find out what is true because all we've got is words and words are not good enough to encapsulate reality. And again, as Christians, we would say that's absolutely true. But what if words became flesh and came to live amongst us? We agree that ultimate reality can't be known unless it makes itself knowable. And Jesus came and he said, I am the truth, actually. Truth is not a concept, it's a person. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Come to me and I'll take you to the Father. We can't know truth unless it makes itself noble. But the great story of the Christian story, the great message of the Christian story, is that truth has come to find us and reveal himself to us. And when you're looking for what is true, because that seems like a funny story, just look at what you know in your life. So there's things that you know. You know that suffering is real. You know that pain is real. Some of you are going through some really difficult... stuff, And you know suffering is real. But do you know what? In the Eastern religions, Hinduism and Buddhism, it's not. They call it Maya, which means illusion. Your pain is an illusion. How does that make you feel? This stuff you're going through are oh, not real. It's just in your head. It's not good enough. You know that it's real. And Christianity says, yeah, your pain is so real that it needs someone to come and take pain upon himself, take death upon himself on your behalf. That's That's the story of Christianity. You know that you believe in unconditional love. If you've got kids, you love them unconditionally. There isn't a single religion, a single religion where God loves you unconditionally, except for one. One. Like we can't just make stuff up. In the Quran, in its own words, it says Allah doesn't love the unbelievers. Even if all roads lead to God and that God is the God of Islam, well, most of us in here are in a lot of trouble. We're in a lot of trouble because Allah doesn't love you. There's one story where you are loved unconditionally. It says in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, is it? I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. You know that you believe in unconditional love. And you see, there's certain things that you know by their absence as much as by their presence. You know you believe in unconditional love when you feel rejected. You know you believe in freedom when you feel trapped. You know you believe in purpose when you feel like your life is going nowhere. These are wired into you. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. If you believe in unconditional love, that is a signpost. It points somewhere. But it only points to Jesus, whether we like it or not. And I do really like it. It only points to Jesus. Because you know what? You can't give away what you haven't got. If God is not capable of unconditional love, how has he managed to wire it into us? How has he managed to wire in a desire that isn't fulfillable? Or wire in a gift that he can't do? Because we agree that unconditional love is a greater thing than conditional love. So if you believe in unconditional love I just want to encourage you that's a signpost to to the truth to the truth that isn't distant but actually has made himself known has come to find you Let's See what time I'm on because I know we started quite late and Oh yes okay so I've got a couple more things to say These things are signposts if you believe in suffering there's one place you should go if you believe in purpose and freedom and unconditional love, there's one place that you should go. See, it didn't end well for Pilate. Pilate had the chance, had the chance to accept who Jesus was and do something about that. And he rejected him. And Pilate, uh, after that, he, um, he crushed a, an uprising in Samaria, which is north of, where, uh, north of Judea. And um, he was disgraced, he was sent back to Rome and in, during the reign of Caligula, he, he killed himself. He committed suicide. Um, so that didn't end well for him. He tried to save his own life and lost it. Jesus says, doesn't he, Like everyone who tries to save their own life will lose it. Everyone who loses their life for my sake will, will find it. Pilate is evidence of that. Then, um, and also, like <laughs> the Jews chose the Sanhedrin. They chose, power, they chose power over truth as well because when the Barabbas was released, Barabbas actually was guilty of the thing that they were accusing Jesus of. Barabbas actually had stirred up insurrection. They chose power over truth. Interesting, do you know what Barabbas' name? Do you know what Barabbas means in Aramaic? It means son of the Father. Isn't that ironic? The, the, The real son of the Father they crucified on false charges, and the person who actually was guilty they released. Such an in such a shadow. Of the truth, in one uh, one twelve A.D., uh, Pliny the Younger, Pliny the Younger was the so he was the equivalent of Pilate. He was the Roman governor of Turkey, and he wrote to Rome and said, "Look, we've got a problem. We've got a problem with these Christians. So Christianity is only, gosh, it's like less than hundred years old at this point." He so said, "We've got a problem with these Christians. There's flipping loads of them." And it's not just in the city that this is happening, it's in the country as well. And it's not just with the old people, it's with the young people. Some of the children believe this. And interestingly, the only crime that's mentioned in Pliny the Younger's letter is the crime of being a Christian. Like with Jesus, there is no guilt they can find save being a Christian. The problem was that as people became Christians, they stopped stopped worshipping at the Roman temples. They messed with the power structures. They went with the truth and they messed with the power structures because they left the Roman temples and left them into disrepair and they started worshipping the Lord. And so Pliny the Younger said, "Um, we're executing these Christians. And what we do, we bring them in one by one. And we say, are you a Christian? And if they say no, we bring in an idol, a Roman idol, and we make them bow down. We make them curse Christ because a Christian will not curse Christ. We bring an idol, and if they curse Christ, we let them go. If they say, yes, I'm a Christian, we ask them a second time, are you a Christian? If they say yes, we say, look, if we are going to kill you. We're going to kill you. Are you a Christian? He said, it, when they say yes the third time, we kill them. And they were killing so many Christians that they had to relieve the executioners. Because these Christians were coming in, and none of them were denying Christ. None of them were denying the fact that they were Christians. And you know, that seems like a really weird thing to do. Because they're not, you can understand how people would fight and die for a cause. In the Second World War and the First World War, people are fighting and dying for a cause. But these are not people fighting for a cause, they're just dying for it. All they have to do is say, no, actually I'm not a Christian, I don't know where that's come from. I'm wearing this cross around my neck, but that's a mistake. It was just a Christmas, Christmas present. But they weren't. And so the question is, why? Why would you do that? Why would you refuse to deny Christ? I'll tell you why. It's because you really believe that he's real. You really believe what he says is true. You really believe that his love is the greatest power in the universe. You only deny Christ if you can live without him. And for these guys in the second century... They knew they couldn't live without him. And for people here today, if you're not currently following Jesus or calling yourself a Christian, I just want to encourage you that there are, there are people in this room who are literally only alive because of the love of God. There are people in this room for whom the love of God is the only thing keeping us going. There are people in this room who know what these Turkish Christians knew in the second century, which is that the love of Jesus is better than life. Better than life. Because he is life. Psalm 63, verse 3. Your love, O Lord, is better than life. They allowed themselves to be killed because they knew that they had already found the purpose of life they had found the truth the truth had found them and they would happily lay down their life because they knew they'd found it all those who lose their life for my sake will find it and so there's a challenge for us as christians isn't there for the people in here who would we'll call ourselves christians like what are we what are we doing how are we prepared to accept abuse slander what are we going to do Romans 15.3 says, Every insult of those who insult you has fallen on Jesus. Every insult of those who insult you has fallen on Jesus. That's such good news for us as Christians. You hear some some religious people say, some Christians say, I have a right to be offended. No, you don't have a right to be offended. You have a right to become a child of God, and you already are. Every insult has fallen on the cross. That's what it's for. So you can just get on with the business of loving people. If people want to hate you, fine, let them. If people want to behead you, because you know what? what? These guys in Turkey, it must have felt like Christianity was on its last legs. Do you know what I mean? If everyone you know who's a Christian is being assassinated and executed, that must have seemed pretty bad. And some of them would have thought, I'm not sure, I'm not sure we've done the right thing here. But how's the Roman Empire doing these days? Not well? How's the Kingdom of God doing these days? Pretty good? I was reading something. The, the ratio of Christians to non-Christians in the world started with 11 to everybody else and has got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger throughout time and it's never decreased. There are more, the percentage of Christians in the world is higher now than it has ever been. It, we don't notice it in Chesterfield because we, we're quite happy on our own, thank you. We'd rather say, well, what is truth? Truth is my comfort, actually. Truth is that I want to just be left alone. Pilate wanted to be left alone and so do we. But you know, globally, the church is exploding, and it explodes the most where people are executed for being Christians. Because the power of God is at work. Like, He really is who He says He is. He really is the truth. You really can know Him, and the things that you really desire purpose, freedom, joy, hope you can know these things and keep them forever, whether you lose your physical life or not. I want to encourage you. If you're a Christian, if you're already a Christian, you don't need to fight your own battles all the time. Exodus 14 says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. People are going to hate you. People are going to disagree with you. Don't worry. He's got you. And we've got you. We're your family. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And then, if if you're not someone who's a a Christian, I just want to encourage you that it's not about having an experience. We love it when we have an experience of God. We love it. But having an experience is is not the end game. When Jesus was arrested, Judas felt massive regret. He realized that what he'd done was wrong. But he didn't repent, he killed himself. That's not repentance. He chose death rather than life. This guy we met in Bedford, he had an experience of God. It doesn't mean anything unless he chooses to make Jesus his king. You can have an experience of God and we want you to have an experience of God. Pilate came, Pilate came face to face. This is the last thing I'll say. Pilate came face to face with Jesus. Pilate had a face to face experience with God. He saw that Jesus was innocent. He saw that he was powerful. He heard the words of the king and he rejected him. he let him be killed. People say, if God appeared to me, I'd believe in him. Well, you wouldn't. First of all, believing that he's a king, believing that he's God, doesn't make any difference. The demons believe that. Believing that Jesus is God doesn't make any difference. Letting him be your king makes the difference. Because you can know that Jesus is God and still want to be the king of your own life. And we want that. We want to build our own kingdom. We want to be in control. And you can, you can do that, but, and Jesus will let you do that, but you, you, can't, you can't expect anything to change. Things only change when you say to Jesus, you know what, you're the king. I'm coming into your kingdom, your way, not my way. That's what repentance is. Having an experience of God is great. But it's not the end game, and it doesn't actually change anything. It's like seeing the trailer for a film and saying, "Hey, that's a really good trailer. Oh, shall we buy a ticket and go and see?" It? Oh, no, thanks, no. But the trailer looks really good. Another analogy: Jesus is like the sun, and we're all orbiting him. All of us orbiting him to different points. But you've got to come in to land. You've got to come to him and land on him and let him have your life. It's true that God loves you. we We love the phrase, God loves you. It's really true that God loves you. But you do actually have to repent. And repent means turning away from your life where you're the king and letting him be the king. Nothing really changes until you do that. I'm really sorry. I hated it as well. And I still do hate it. But that's where freedom is. In his presence is fullness of joy. His love is better than life, but you've you've got to let him, you've got to let him in. And when you do, you realize that even death can't touch you. Death has lost its sting. So I just want to encourage you with that today. Maybe you're orbiting, and you think, hey, that planet looks really nice. That trailer for the film looks really good. But you've got to buy the ticket, you've got to come in to land. You can't expect much to change until you do. And for those of us who are Christians, let's, let's not worry about being offended. We have a right to be a child of God. Let's go, and share, let's go and share the gospel. Let's go and speak truth in love. Truth to power. And the power that most of us are coming up against is the, is the power of the lies in people's lives. The power of addiction, the power of anxiety, the power of depression, the power of consumerism. We have a truth that can set people free. So let's not be ashamed or scared to share it because we're not going to be beheaded. We might just be slandered or bitched about on Facebook, but that's okay. It's okay, just unfriend them. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for truth. Thank you that you are the truth, Jesus. You are the truth, the way, and the life. Thank you that we can just come to you and give you our life and you will give us the life that you planned for us. Father, thank you that as we come to you, there is real freedom. There is real purpose. We start to understand what purpose means, what joy means, what freedom means. These things that we've had a glimpse of, we understand when we come to you and we give you our life, what these things mean. Thank you that you love us as we are, But when we come to you, we cannot stay as we are because we're not perfect and you are. Lord, just bless everyone here. Just pray blessing. Thank you that you love them. Thank you that you love all of us. Just pray during this last worship song that, Lord, your spirit would be moving, that people would be experiencing your spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. And just show people who you are. Show them your love. Show them how valuable they are. Thank you that we're invited into that relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.